This episode of Doing Disney, we return to Studio Ghibli as we deep dive into the 1997 epic Princess Mononoke. <coughs> Theme song guy. On this podcast, we let it go, because Hakuna Matata and the bare necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea, because on this podcast, we do Disney. Hi there, I'm your hostess with the most S, Kelly Meehan, and welcome to Doing Disney. We are starting 2023 with a bang as we tackle our second Ghibli film on the podcast and an anime epic with Princess Mononoke. I brought in the big guns today to help me break it all down. One Jay Burns, how are you doing today, Jay? Oh, you know what? I'm I'm doing lovely. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, this this movie means a lot, and I cannot wait to talk about it with you. I really let's can't. just dive right in. Start at the beginning. Princess Mononoke, released in 1997 by Studio Ghibli and directed by one of the pillars of the company, Hayao Miyazaki. It stars Billy Crudup as Prince Ashitaka, Claire Danes as San, and Minnie Driver as Lady Yaboshi. When the Amishi village is attacked by a cursed boar god, Prince Ashitaka manages to slay it before it reaches the village, but at the cost of his arm being inflicted with a curse. Having to leave his homeland from which he cannot return, Ashitaka goes in search of a cure. He comes across Iron Town, ruled by Lady Yaboshi, who is warring with the regional forest and the Wolf Guardian as they are clearing the forest and mining ore for firearms. San, called Princess Mononoke by Lady Yaboshi, attacks Iron Town to kill Lady Yaboshi, but when Ashitaka attempts to subdue the fighting, he is shot, causing the curse to enable him to leave Iron Town with an unconscious San in his arms. They make their way to the forest where they encounter the forest spirit, who heals Ashitaka of his bullet wound, but not his curse. Jigo, a monk working for the emperor that Ashitaka met on his travels to Iron Town, teams up with Lady Yaboshi to slay the forest spirit and bring his head back to the emperor. Lady Yaboshi manages to shoot the great forest spirit and remove its head, which causes the body to emit a perilous black ooze that starts to kill the forest and heads for the nearby Iron Town. Ashitaka and Sam manage to retrieve the head from Jigo, which, although the great forest spirit passes, does replenish the land and heal Ashitaka. The film ends with Ashitaka and Noboshi heading to rebuild Iron Town and San returning to the forest, hoping that they will learn to live in peace with one another. Tale as old as time. So my first question is a two-pronged question. You, this is your favourite film, correct? This is, this, is, this is on my letterbox as my number one film of all time. So my question is, how did you first come to the film? And then the second part is... Um, when did you know or how did it become your favorite film? I came to this film when I was sick in like 2002 and Blockbuster, uh, that's this thing that used to exist where you were able to go and rent DVDs. It was like a red box, but it was an entire store and it had like DVDs and these things called VHSs that I don't think most kids know about nowadays. Um, I found it in the animated movie section and was like, oh, cool. I watched Ninja Scroll when I was way too young, but like it also got me introduced into anime. And I was like, I, I like the way that this box art looks. I like the way that the cover of this looks. I want to rent this movie. I want to watch it because I don't feel good. And I'm just going to go home and I'm, I'm going to watch it. Um, and then over the course of like three days, I watched this movie, I don't know, eight times. Um. Like ever since I was like 13, 14 years old, I'd, I'd always had a draw to this. Every time I find a new movie, every time I watch a new movie, I'm like, okay, this is great. But how does it stack up against 
this movie. This is the movie that like I exactly this is the movie that I put every other movie up against. And like my top 50 is just like a list of movies that kind of have certain things in common with this movie, but they have never been able to surpass this movie. Uh, it wasn't until like I started listing things where I was like, this is my number one movie. This is my favorite movie of all time. So like that's relatively recent, but this is that movie that I judge every other movie against. And everybody has one of them. For a lot of people, it's like The Godfather. For me, it's Princess Mononoke. So suck it, Kirk. <laughs> no, absolutely. I love that this is um the one that's just stuck out in your head and that, that had that somewhat instantaneous effect of like, I need to keep watching this. This is... Did you just really know that this was something different? This is something that was speaking to you. Um, you said you already liked a bit of anime. Did this start it or was this like right in the middle of your just learning about anime? How did you go from there? So I think like most people, I came into anime the way that like a lot of people did, like four kids, uh, at least for us Americans, you know, uh, introduced like Shaman King, introduced like uh, One Piece, introduced Digimon, Pokemon, like, so there was, there was a lot of that, plus, like, American animation, I, I think the thing that, like, really drew me in was everybody talks about how hard, like, Disney artists work when it comes to creating their animation. Every movie that Disney has ever made fails in comparison to anything that Ghibli does. Ghibli does not skimp on anything, let alone the animation Every scene in this movie is a painting, and I love it. It is one of those things that just stands out, sticks out in my mind. You could show me a screenshot from a random section in this movie, and I can tell you what's happened right before, what's happening in that scene, and what's about to happen right after. There isn't a scene from this movie that I wouldn't put on like a, a canvas paper and hang on my back wall. Uh, that's awesome. So I'm very much in the same like loving anime coming to it that way, but... Ghibli was a bit of a delayed gratification for me. So I grew up like um, loving Sailor Moon and things like that and then graduating to Full Metal Alchemist and you're more like adult-oriented yeah. anime. Um, and definitely movies like Spirited Away push that because that's more what put it on the international stage, I would argue. But this one coming right before Spirited Away is what really gave it that big Ghibli push. Um, it was still a bit underground, but if you know, you know. It was very much that. And so if you liked anime, you print words like Princess Mononoke or Totoro are banded around, even if you haven't seen it. So I didn't see it until somewhat recently, I'd say recently, like in the last five years, when we made our way through the Miyazaki box set. And it's one of the last ones we got to because of a little bit of the seriousness and the scale of it as well. It's a serious movie. You need to yeah. be sitting down to watch it. So it's we sort of did. Almost two and a half hours long. Exactly. It is It is the epic of the Ghibli canon. Let's put it that way. It's a period drama. It's got these big thematic moments. So a lot of what like Miyazaki does as a director mm. are period pieces. Uh, and like it's a staple of what he does. And no wonder he like bodied his son uh, when his Ghibli movie came out because he's like, you think you're my baby? No, this studio is my baby and you're ruining it right now. Stop. Oh, it's sad but true. It's sad but true. <laughs> But as I said, like, you know, Mononoke, you maybe know that imagery of sun and the wolves, like all that, even if you haven't seen the movie has permeated that culture. So um, when we watched it, I was quite taken aback by even just the mature content of it. It really does gain its um, more mature rating because of 
a bit of the violence. And you do need to be of the mindset to be able to, to take it in and process what is happening. So it's my favourite part because you'll see. Let's jump into what's your favourite scene, Jay? I know we just said we can take any scene and make it a canvas. Give me, give me one that's in your first choice. Okay, like the first thing that pops into my head is Keith David's voiceover at the very beginning, just scanning over the forest, giving us just a little bit of backstory. That is by far one of my favorite scenes in this movie. And I know you said that I can have like three. Uh, would <laughs> my favorite scene technically count as from the time the beginning credits roll to the time the end credits roll? Because if that counts... That is my choice, but if not, I would I would have to say there there are some endpoints, um, but like that beginning scene really sticks with me. I can see it in my mind when I close my eyes. I'm like, okay, cool. We're rolling over the forested hills of like Japan in the ancient times, and you can just see it the boar that is hurt breaking through the the demon infested boar breaking through the forest was a shock i'm not gonna lie like the first time i watched it but it the way that he moves versus the way that like the background doesn't stay static the fact that like they mm. made the background move with the character yes. while it's moving it's is rushed and it's panic and it's yeah you can anxious, feel it like it, it gives you that sense of dread yes. like oh okay here we go that is by far one of my favorite scenes in the movie i you know it's so funny that is my favorite scene as well that is what i put down as my favorite scene is the entry because it was the same thing when i sat down i was i was shocked i'm like this is unlike any other animated film I've seen where this boar covered in this parasitic darkness is charging at these people and Ashitaka is like coming to the rescue and gets those wounds and just the, the violence and the graphic of it. I remember watching Spirited Away when they animated the pigs and feeling really uncomfortable seeing it on the yeah. screen. And it's the same here. The boars make me very uncomfortable because it's ugly but in a good way, you know, they are, yeah. they are realistic. It's, it's, I'm, I come from the Disney world. It is not a cute little cartoon pig. It is a boar god. That this, is is, this is Chernabog. <laughs> <laughs> and as I said, like covered in that darkness and full of this rage and everything. And the line that sticks out to me is from, um, I think, oh, is it, I think it's Ashitaka says it first. And then the, um, medicine healer of woman of the um, village people? says yeah. similar things. Yes, of the Amishi people. Um, did the the way they speak to this god is calm your fury, O mighty lord, be you god or demon, leave us in peace. Yeah. And there's just something so powerful I find that in that because they are so reverent to their gods. But we're not used to having being in a place of gods of us interacting with gods so to see no. that on film is something really i always enjoy when that happens and these are their their forest gods their their um spirits i think it's, i think it's, it's one of the things that i don't enjoy about like movies where monotheism exists like mm. it because okay you've got one god What's this God going to do? Is this God good? Is this God bad? Is there a counterpart to him? When you have like polytheistic beliefs, when you have like, uh, like more multiple gods is one of those mm. things. And even if they're not necessarily like in a pantheon of gods, these large animals that you do revere are treated with respect and reverence. You kind of need that. 
you like yeah. honestly to connect with nature i think you need that a little bit more and i think that's why like a lot of people don't do it like there aren't people out there who are like let's protect the forest you have people who are like oh let's tear this let's tear this place down <laughs> but I, I i agree with you it, it, that is that almost was on my list of favorite quotes yeah i've got my um my next part of it so when yeah. the god is passing in peace is passing away then the, the village woman comes and says oh nameless god of rage and hate i bow before you pass on in peace and bear us no hatred because they know the scale they know that this is a god and they are the people but the the boar god responds disgusting little creatures soon all of you will feel my hate and suffer as i have suffered yes. and that is the crux of the film is that we as people are hurting the forest and the forest is not taking its revenge that's not the right term but it is it is making it is letting us know that that's reciprocal damage in the end we're only hurting ourselves by hurting the forest yeah yeah you're you're not you're not gaining a one up on them by doing this by by this means of destruction you are ultimately hurting yourselves because you can't find a way to live in peace balance and harmony when it comes with all of this and i think like I think that's a good lesson for everybody to take away is it's like you cannot just grasp at everything, take, take, take and never give back. Because when you do that, you leave yourself with a finite resource. And once that finite resource leaves, what do you have? You have wars over these resources, wars over water, wars over coal, wars over everything. Yeah. It's just I don't know. It, it's it's really weird. The themes that I take away from this, like I could we could talk about that and we are definitely gonna talk about it. Um, but like there's a lot that goes on in this movie, and most of it seems like it like can boil down to the same thing, but it's such an abstract thought that it's not necessarily one thing, but it is all these multiple different factorials that create the problem that happens, and it's a spider's web out from disharmony essentially yeah. like trying to trying to control something that is uncontrollable will have you meeting the fate that you will you ultimately meet i had the exact same reaction this watch through jay because like i think um it's very much that iceberg model where the first time i watched it, it's like yep man versus nature nature good man bad and then the second time you watch it i'm picking up more things i'm like wow there's some really interesting gender roles here there's some really interest interesting um, social concepts that are going on and villages and how people are interacting. And so I think each there are so much multiple layers. And as you said, it is all those um, micro factors that amount to the big macro factors. So it's really, um, yeah, so, so well done. Princess Mononoke yeah. is like an ogre and ogres <laughs> are like onions. It's got layers. <laughs> Surprisingly, a lot of the times in like Japanese anime, uh, especially in time set like this, there are ogres, and we didn't get one. <laughs> I'm a <laughs> little disappointed. No I didn't get a Japanese ogre telling me to get out of his swamp. Like it would have been great. <laughs> the the swamp, the like little crystal swamp in the middle there. Like yes. some ogre was behind the tree there. <laughs> yeah, but like you got to give him a Texan accent because it's a it's a it's an anime movie instead of a Scottish accent for a Japanese you know, for an American movie. Get out of my swamp. <laughs> just to put a just to put a button on that scene. The other yeah. part is that that demon wastes away, and I love how they animate um, the mist or the smoke of it leaving because it's leaving this stench and something quite foul. 
that is being left behind that as it wastes away. And I find that just really those little touches, those little details, so fascinating. So what I what I've always taken away from that is it, it's always struck me as like one of the humors that he, like individuals had, like it's, it's a miasma, which was what people thought brought on sickness and not knowing what did that and watching it dissipate upon that God's death was like, Oh, cool. Again, onions on layers. <laughs> I'm going to make, I'm going to make that joke a thousand times and I'm not Let's even going to be it. sorry for it. I'm not comedy comes in threes. We'll do it 300 times. Princess Mononoke equals Shrek. Got it. <laughs> Jay, give me your second favorite scene. Give me another one. When the forest spirit loses its head. Okay. Big, big call. Um, Let's go. It's, it's near the end of the movie. When the forest spirit loses its head, uh, you've got Jigo out there. You've got everybody who's just closing in on this thing. And we'll talk about, like the goals of certain characters here in a little bit when it comes to this, but this is, if they're, I think all of my favorite scenes of this movie are frantic scenes mm. because I haven't chosen a non frantic scene so far. And all we've talked about are frantic scenes. And I've got another one, which honestly is just another frantic scene. And I, but I've got the, one. So go. Yes. Go for it. So, um, I, I, I don't know what it is because this creature's never done anything wrong. This creature heals the bullet wound uh, in Ashitaka's side when San brings him there. Um, just quick side note, when San like takes the harness off of Yakul and is like, you're free now, go. And homie's just like, I'm going to stand here in the water. Like that's that's my guy. That's my that's that's my yeah. ride or die right there. Like I think that's where she starts to kind of realize that like not all humans are evil. Um, but what is, what is your scene? What is your scene? I want to, I want to hear this because we have very similar tastes so far in this. Okay. I'll touch on my thoughts on the, um, the, when the God loses its head, as you said, it is frenetic and at the end. And when I first watched it, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe they've just done that, which is so silly because it's an anime movie and it's like, there's no rules. It's not the traditional standards of like actually seeing death or destruction or going past what the limit is so when the, when it took the, the other thing is when that bullet goes through the head and the eyes spark oh that is that shocked face the growing of, of the, hole, the growing oh. hole in the neck and just watching it just like a bubble pop was yes. one of those things where i was just like they did not that just do happened. this that they did happened. not just do this and then it's literally just uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, except it's not lava, it's forest god blood. It's black ooze. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep, there it is. It is it is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret <laughs> of the Ooze, <laughs> confirmed. All these connections. The multiverse that Yo. we're building here. <laughs> Yo, it's great. It's all canon now, too, by the way, just so everybody knows. Uh, the scene I want to touch on. And it's very funny. It's the opposite of a frenetic scene. What I really love about Ghibli movies is when they introduce us to a town. So when we go into Iron Town and we meet um, Toki and all the women and all Ghibli just brings us this cast of characters. They flesh out their towns. They flesh out these worlds with these smaller roles that just somehow really stand out. They're not seen stealing, but it just makes it feel lived in. It gives me um, Springfield or Parks and Rec, you know, like where you know these people of this town. And so I loved, 
from my first watch, I think this is, I liked that opening scene, but this is, this is that scene that hooked me where I was like, I like this when we found out the women have um, their contracts brought from brothels and yeah. seeing them work the ironworks and have banter with the men of the village and husbands. And I was just like, this is progressive and interesting. Toki, my love, no! <laughs> Toki is just a badass. I love it. She's great. Um, yeah, but just to see them work the bellows and to yeah. see Ashitaka come in and their reactions to him as well, I like. And he just starts working it. And there's something that Miyazaki does really well about putting you in those mundane tasks, those cleaning, chores, things like yeah. that. How come when I'm seeing it on screen, I'm like, why is this so captivating of what I'm watching at the moment? Just the why isn't it like that when I do it? it? Never. I've never <laughs> scrubbed the floor like and felt interesting about it. <laughs> so there, there was something really interesting about that. That it's, it's a real quick throwaway line. Like everybody in Irontown works everybody in iron town works and we'll talk about that here in a minute but their shifts are four days long in that scene their shifts are four days long toki says it to him they work those forges they work those bellows for four days straight this isn't a town where like anybody gets to laze around everybody is doing their yes exactly and pulls more than their weight like who do you know right now that could work for four days straight like obviously they get breaks they they'll be able to eat lunch they'll have a couple of breaks maybe get a nap in it's never stated so you can't pull that from the context of that quote but they have four day like in a four-day work week but it's four days in a row that's 96 hours have you ever stayed up for 96 hours because i have and that is devastating to the mind (laughs) you get sloppy around hour 77 i'm just saying Facts checked out. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely did not pick up on that, but that makes a lot of sense because um, it's something I want to talk about when we talk about um, the antagonist, as I've, I've phrased it now, not the villain, the antagonist of the field, Lady Eboshi, and and how the um, the town of Iron Town is comprised of people. I find yeah. that extremely fascinating and something I pick up more on each watch as well. But I'm going to save that. Jay, give me another frenetic scene. Let's pick it up a bit. Uh, it is right after Ashitaka has been, uh, quote-unquote, banished from the Amishi people when he travels in the uh, exact opposite path that the boar god was taking, and he comes across the village where the samurai are attacking. Uh, Yaku- him riding Yakul and using his like giant bow and arrow to save several villagers, taking a head off, taking two arms off, like, like being a badass, establishing the fact that, like, Ashitaka himself is a badass. Mm. And I think like this is the the one time I'm gonna talk about like the badassery of like what men do in this movie because there are so many more badass <laughs> women in this movie than yeah. there are men. But Ashitaka does something that I don't think like a lot of characters do. He's he doesn't want to hurt anybody. They fire at him first while he is writing past this. They try to attack him, he solves this conflict. But it never stops. He doesn't stop writing. He's just like, oh, you want this? You can get this. Let's go. And then moves forward and goes and tries to buy some rice. <laughs> that that scene, absolutely. Um, after the ball god scene, I'm like, okay, that was when I first watched it. I'm like, okay, that was a bit, bit graphic, but, you know, I can push through. I don't have the strongest stomach at times, but, like, I can do it. When those arms came up in the first time I watched it, could not believe it. 
Cause he's no, just like oh, up no, here no, no. and at both elbows, it's and he just looks trick. at it, and he just like yeah. looks at his nubs, and he's just like. <laughs> and the second time I watched it, I'm like, oh no, that wasn't as graphic as I thought, because I like I was steeled myself a little bit, and yeah. then I watched it again. And I'm like, oh no, that really does. That is that, that is that just doesn't... as graphic as I thought it was. Yeah, <laughs> yes. no, ab- absolutely. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Like the scene is great. Um, there was one real quick thing I wanted to say also because uh, I know I talked about the four uh, the four day work week. Um, Ghibli is known for making their food look great. Yes, right? they didn't necessarily do that for me in this movie, but what they did was instead they focused their time on Iron Town and made Iron Town amazing. There is not a scene that happens in Iron Town that I do not enjoy watching. Sorry, I just had to say it. It was in my mind. Nope, that's fair, because that, that is something Ghibli very well known for the food. We don't necessarily associate Mononoke, we associate Spirited Away or House or other ones. Well, I, okay, Spirited Away, food, absolutely. Yeah. You, and you, I don't think you can say any less about that. We're not talking about it, but that whole scene where the where the parents turn the in the pigs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, every piece of food there looks immaculate. It looks delicious. <laughs> Keith Lee would rate that 10 out of 10. I'm just saying. And then would probably rate it 0.5 out of 10 because he got turned into a pig, but he still enjoyed the food. <laughs> but you're right. Um, I And as, as I had alluded as well, they really did make it feel fleshed out. They make it feel lived in. It feels like you could walk into that tomorrow and it would be a fully functioning town. There's nothing skimped on there. You ain't never had a friend like me. We spoke briefly about Ashitaka. I want to dive more into um, our favourite characters. Ashitaka might not be the most a bravado field character like it's not like a standout you know sometimes when when we get to the segment it tends to be a lot of the side characters okay but I do find my this watch through I'm like wow I've I not related to but I was more captivated by him than I had been in previous watches for exactly what you said is that he really is um the moral gray area of the story and that's what I find interesting as well is like he's trying to uh ride the middle and bring peace between the two factions and that is just really hard to do because people from iron town and people from the forest have black and white views i am right the other people are wrong and he's saying no we can live in the middle we can find common ground and we can um be uh simpatico so to speak so um what are your thoughts on ashitaka ashitaka doesn't necessarily fit into like a lot of character descriptions i think if i had to rank ashitaka with some of my other favorite movie characters ashitaka is like that first character who showed that no matter how toxic everything around you is, your masculinity doesn't have to be toxic. Yeah. He is he is on that level of like Aragorn, who is up there, who is yeah, not good who, who is not afraid to show his emotions, whether it be anger, whether it be compassion, whether it be love, whether it be like anything he's feeling, he's not like suppressing that when he is in iron town and like, he is trying to control the rage in his arm. I don't see that as him trying to suppress his feelings. I see that as him trying not to have something explode that he can't deal with while still trying to find something else. This is one of the reasons why I love Ashitaka. He is one, he is one of my favorite characters in this movie, but yeah, no, Uh, we we can, (laughs) it is hard. (laughs) He's, he's an important character. He is good. Um, hero that we're following as i said he's not um he's not a boisterous character or things like that he's quite no. solemn he's quite soft-spoken but that's what i like about him like he's not he's he not braggadocious is, like 
he's exactly. he's there. He, he he is there. He knows that he knows that his time is limited. Yeah. And he's trying to make the most out of that while also kind of selfishly trying to save his own life, but like also resigning himself to the fact that this is probably not gonna happen. Like, especially after that meeting, after he gets shot in Irontown with the Forest Spirit and Son, and he gets healed with the bullet wound, which we've brought up before, which we will most likely ultimately bring up again. Um, but he the forest the forest spirit doesn't heal his art. Yes, because that's the lessons he's still got to learn. Yeah, exactly. He's still absolutely go things. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I like is that we see him not just be, as I said, the one side all the time. So we see him uh, like attack against San a little bit. We see him attack against Lady Iboshi, like when he's firing arrows at the guns and things like that. We see him really is trying to fight both sides, and he gets accused by the other side each time. You're working with the humans. No, you're working with the wolves. Like. It's so hard to be that middle force that is trying to bring everyone together. So I, I like this character a lot. The, the other part I forgot is his origin of having to leave his village and being out, being the prince and, like, um, as soon as you leave this village, you are dead to us. And his poor, I didn't realise it was his sister, goes up, gives him her crystal dagger. Yeah. I, find that, I found that really touching this watch as well because it's one that... Go, for we um, do not speak to the dead. Like... Oh, yeah, like that that one hits real hard. That one hits incredibly hard. It, it's not one of my favorite quotes, um, but it's one of those ones that stands out. Yeah. It is one of those ones that stands out. Jay, give me another character who who would be one of your favorite choices. Gonza. Voiced by voiced by John DiMaggio. This is a normal ass this is a this normal old boy. Right? He's just trying to do his own job. He's trying to make sure that Lady Oboshi's taken care of. He's trying to make sure that, like, the daily things in Irontown happen. And then this dude who can come through and bend his eight-foot sword back with just one hand is just like, get out of my way. And I'm just like, bro, I feel that because you're that normal person. You are that normal individual. Like, He's got some. Yeah. He's got some funny little sidelines, and like everything that he does in the background is actually kind of funny. When you when you watch the movie, you watch the movie on mute at one point in time, and just watch his interactions in those scenes in Iron Town, and he is just the most extravagant individual in the background. He's just like, ah, bah, 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 bah. Um, but the fact that like Bender is the guy who voices him in the American <laughs> like dub of it makes it so much better because John DiMaggio just brings life to every character ever. And I think that like Ghibli and DiMaggio work really well together. It's, it's one of the reasons why I enjoy this character. I don't like him as like a human being, but I enjoy him as a character. (laughs) I, it's not one that was even on my radar, but you're right. It's that everyman presence. It's the Larry from Pokemon is what's going around at the moment. He's normal gym leader Larry at the moment. He absolutely is. He's just trying to go about his day. His boss is riding him. like, And his, uh, the sword moment does stand out when he's standing at the door and Ashitaka's just like, move. Like, <laughs> yeah. <out> the way. <laughs> Insert ludicrous lyrics here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, another, uh, we've got to talk about the titular character, the Princess Mononoke herself. What are your thoughts on Son? I really like Son. I I think that, like, we, we talked about this a little bit uh, last week. Uh, spoilers, because Kelly was uh, gracious <laughs> enough to be the first guest on my show. Um we talked we talked about like badass female characters and like Mm -hmm. how 
I I like women who aren't just damsels in distress and women who can kick ass. And I think Son is that she is willing to stand up, fight, and die for what she believes in versus just expecting somebody else to do it for her. And I like that in any character. But the fact that she takes it into her own hands when, like, Moro can't, that she wants to, like, kill Lady Boshi for like very specific reasons for destroying the forest for upsetting the spirit gods for you know everything it is that she does she tries to move forward and she will not give up and i respect that in any character but the fact that they show it so well and she's not just one dimensional she has multiple emotions that she can feel at any given time whether it's fear whether it's anger whether it is intrigue like when she's holding the knife to Ashitaka's throat and he does like the Chadliest moves. He's like, yo, I'm about to die. What am I gonna say? You're beautiful. And she's like, wait, what? Bro, you understand that what the situation is right now, right? She's not apprehensive about it. She still decides to help him out even though it kind of goes against her better judgment. And when the monkey clan comes through and he's like, give us the human, give us the human. We will eat the man flesh. We will become like the men. And she's like, no, get screwed. (laughs) Like it's exactly. It's, it's, it's one of it. Like that is like her introduction her and Ashitaka's introduction right there is one of my favorite scenes, but it did not make like my favorite scenes list. But like I said, uh, my favorite scenes are from the beginning credits to the end credits, so it technically counts. Uh, my first, I'm, I'm glad you, you found the term that I was looking for, so I was very happy. When I first watched it, I did find San to be very one-dimensional, actually, and I was a little bit disappointed because I'm coming from other um, Miyazaki characters, and I thought we would see more... Um, character growth, character depth, and just vulnerability, because that is what I'm used to seeing, even from badass female characters. Yeah. You do tend to get those moments. And I didn't, I saw a lot of like, um, almost in the same way as the boar god, like San just rushing, rushing through the film. Ton but, of vision. Um, exactly. But on my second and third watches is now when I'm able to pick up those moments. And the other moments I really love is her and Okodo who we haven't talked about very much with Keith David as yes. the blind. Keith David again. Okoto, <laughs> killing it. So good. Um, those moments where she's um, trying to dissuade him from being in the trap, like, no, it's the humans. Like, Lord Okoto, please don't. She's pleading with him. Like, These that, are my that children. Like- I can smell them. Oh. 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 So it, it hurts it, it hurts my heart. He gives, he gives an Oscar-worthy performance in this movie twice, mm-hmm. and it just gets overlooked. Again, I still think this is the movie that should have won the Oscar, over-spirited away. I'm just saying. just saying. It wasn't at the time, but it's ahead I know, of its time. I know. <laughs> but when she gets, like, sucked into Lord Okoto when dragged down into his darkness, that's when, I, yeah, I just found her a lot more compelling in my previous two watches. And maybe that was just my expectations of coming in the film the first time of what I'm used to in a protagonist. So being able to sort of see her for the character she is, I, I enjoyed her much more each watch. So I, I I get that. What are your thoughts on like her feeding Ashitaka? Because this is right that after not like up to until this time. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So that that was one of the things, and that's one of the reasons why when I watched it, I was like, hey, she is doing something with 
somebody she perceives as an enemy who has rescued her even though he attacked her like there's there's a lot of conflicting things there and that's one of the reasons why i'm like she isn't as one-dimensional as like a lot of people think that she is because it's one of those really weird things like and i know she's like pro-environment which is just boiling it down to the basis sense of the word but she is also like hey don't treat animals badly let me free you cool like there's a lot going on with a character that doesn't have in a two-hour movie a whole lot of screen time but is the main quote-unquote focus of the movie which is crazy which is crazy it's like right? legend of zelda where it's named after her but like it's, it is there it is <laughs> It's, it's, time, it's funny it's <laughs> funny you say that because uh zelda will be popping up in one of these uh really soon one of one of these excited. one of these conversational topics really soon <laughs> um i i hadn't picked up on that scene which which was great to see as you said like um she chews the food and feeds ashitaka to, to um get her strength back yeah his strength back but as you said um that tunnel vision comes from what I realized this time comes from being raised by wolves. I shouldn't be putting on the expectations of her having a normal upbringing or what we would define as a normal upbringing of of a social upbringing, I would say, with other human beings. She comes from wolves. So, of course, she would have that wild and um, mentality to her because she herself perceives as as a creature of the forest so um just as you said to see that she has those compassionate roots is is really interesting as well so those yeah. animalistic natures are also there being yeah yeah are also like she is compassionate because her mother raised her the way that she did mm. uh to be hard to be a killer but also her mother is a god like the the mother that brought her in and raised her and raised her brothers is a god in her in of herself and is still sitting here being like it's not all humans mm -hmm. there are problems but there are problems on both sides it's it, it's it's really weird i don't want to say the dichotomy of it's really weird because i think that there's more than two sides to this and there really kind of are but like they she was raised a certain way, but like empathy and compassion is one of those things that you never really think of and see when you watch it the first time. It's upon rewatches where you realize that there is a lot more humanity in her. And she wasn't taught that by humans. She was taught that by a quote unquote animal. She was taught that by a God. Like it, it it's great that, Hey, we aren't as different as everybody is trying to make us out to be. We can be compassionate. We can be, we can show empathy. We can show sympathy. Why are we fighting each other if we are kind of the same? Like, no, there's so very... much to talk about in this movie. So much to talk about in this movie. <laughs> Let's, uh, for, we are an audio only podcast. So I'm so sorry people aren't able to see your amazing background you've got going of kadamas in the forest let's um touch on a few of of the gods and the forest spirits who are some of the characters we've already brought up a few but who stands out to you as some great forest spirit characters or spiritualistic characters uh, the kodama like i think i think i think that's the easiest answer i don't think that's like the give me answer um because i think like a lot of people would go with like okoto or like a lot of people would go with the nameless forest spirit or they would go with like the god of the forest i think that like Knowing that these guys only appeared, knowing that like the Kodama only appear in a place that is healthy, 
and spiritually deep is one of those things that like not a lot of people think about is it's like this means that this is good land this means that like hey this is they found that healthy balance between everything it is that they need to survive and thrive. And if they can do that, you can do that. And you need to be able to find a way to incorporate that while trying to advance yourself, but never forgetting what it is or where it is that you came from. And I think it's like, it's that beautiful cherry on top where we see the Kadamas as the ending shot as well. And especially after Lady Ebro, she says like, we're going to rebuild Iron Town, but in a better way. And we get to see the Kadama come back. Yeah. So, like, we are able to – we're never too far gone, which it's really scary that this movie came out in 97 and where we are nowadays because we're not heeding this message. But I'm still hopeful that we're not too far gone and we can make change and we can heal ourselves and heal our world. It's very, very that. I'm I'm all for it. I'm an advocate for it. Uh, I've been an advocate for it since I watched Fern Gully when I was, like, four years oh, old. Yes. Um, Tim Curry. Yo. That, uh, no yo. one ever talks about that Tim Curry performance. <laughs> yo, that and Spanish are some of my favorite Tim Curry performances. I'm not going to lie. Also, Hex Girls. Let's be real here. Like... <laughs> Tim Curry's Tim Curry is one of the goats, and I'm a little sad that he wasn't involved in this movie because I would have loved to see Tim Curry in this movie. Right, Ghibli voice. He does, and honestly, yeah, he would be great. Honestly, you could probably replace you probably replace, and it's gonna sound weird, but yeah, you could replace Billy Bob Thornton. Don't. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Billy Crystal. And no, 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 no. Like, don't no, no, no. go there. <laughs> no, no, no. Specifically, in Princess Mononoke. For Tim Curry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Good choice. That's, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, I will, however, say that on my Twitch, um, when somebody donates any money to me, it, it is like what pops up on screen is uh that's a lump of gold, you silly woman. Uh is my <laughs> is my donation uh like sound alert that pops up on my screen. Uh it's how much I love this movie. Like it 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 <laughs> permeates my everyday life. I love it. I absolutely Jay, love it. are there any characters we haven't touched on yet that you would like to bring up? Uh, Moro. Yes, that is yeah. the spirit that I would like to bring up too. Okay, okay. Yeah. You start, you start. I've done a lot of talking and you know me, I, I love I love having this, but <laughs> I, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Hit me with it. Jillian uh, G- Anderson does such a good job because it really is that that motherly role, but she's ferocious and protective and i love uh the scenes it's hard for us to grasp sometimes from a western concept of death not being the be or end all and being accepting of it so with morrow saying like no i'm going to pass on i found that really profound and again something we're not not used to seeing in in an animated film because i come from the 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 disney world where like everyone lives at the end of the day and everyone's happy sort of thing except unless you watch the prince of egypt (laughs) yeah yeah. um but i love that she gets her she gets to enact her comeuppance at the end and take off lady aboshi's arm because aboshi said watch out for that wolf heads because they will still fight and so the fact that she goes down swinging i love that what do you like about morrow I love the fact that it took me as long as it took me. And it took me probably like 15, maybe 20 watches of this movie to realize that's who that was. Cause I don't really watch like end credits. I don't watch like, I'm more interested in the movie than I am. Like everything like I've this, this has changed because 
of the spheres that we both run in. Yes. But like yes. I didn't you I didn't really watch now. exactly. Now you have to know these things. <laughs> but like the fact that they didn't do a lot of like audio filtering on her and she provided a majority of that voice. Hmm. They doubled her up. And she went deeper on one than she did the other. And that's why it kind of sounds double and a little echoey when she does it is by far just like a great character choice. But the fact that she sounds as like devilish, as monstrous as she does, and she is still trying to teach compassion. It shows that like not all creatures that you perceive as evil are that uh wreck it ralph uh, another connection for the movie thing <laughs> just because i am bad guy does not mean i am bad guy like thanks satan it's sateen <laughs> but like but the statement still stands the statement still yeah. stands morrow could probably crush head like sparrows like between vice that is that that is zangief um thank but... you thank you i <laughs> <laughs> are absolutely good but morrow morrow is one of those characters that like kind of reminds me like it's gonna sound like a really weird comparison here so hear me out morrow is kind of like frankenstein's monster like morrow is the character that wants to understand and learn compassion and is trying to teach it but is violent in the end and not necessarily for the reasons that people think like frankenstein's monster kills and is afraid of fire and lashes out when that happens when they are provoked she is not sitting there and being that character she is not lashing out unprovoked she is acting in response to something that is happening to her and her world and she's trying to protect that and that's that's why i make that comparison like i know it's like i said it seems a little weird but to me that's the way my mind makes that connection uh and son is just uh, frankenstein jr <laughs> i think that's something very true of, of the movie as well as um what is happening in response to other things um really does like the domino effect of I your actions having consequences and who's doing what to whom I find fascinating. Uh, that, that demonic possession is lead poisoning, by the way. Yeah. Like yeah. just anybody who has watched the movie didn't pick up on it. It's a giant lead ball. It's lead poisoning. Uh, don't be a, don't be a jerk face. Listen well, all of you. Jay, we've jumped around the topic a little bit, but what are you, what are your favorite quotes from the film? Uh, so one of them comes from, both of them come from like the first third of the movie, actually. Um, and I think like one of them definitely comes from Ashitaka and the other one comes from Jigo Bo. Um, my first one is sometimes I think the gods are laughing at us. And it's just one of those things where like a lot of people might just like take that as a throwaway line. And I'm like, the more and more you think about it and the more and more you look at it, these aren't like antagonistic gods to them. They are trying to live in harmony with everybody. And it's just like the futility and like the limited concept in which humans can look at certain aspects of life because this is, Oh, Hey, look, the emperor tried to destroy our clan 500 years ago. Didn't happen. We are the last of our people. This God came through, infected me with this rage and now I have to leave my people. 
am I going to die? Are my people going to die? There's a lot that is just like right behind the context of this quote. And it's just one of my favorites. It's one of those ones that sticks out in my head. Mai is God themed also. And we haven't got to talk about her a lot because we're going to talk about her and how evil is the villain. But it's an Lady Eboshi quote. And it comes from a scene we've brought up as well when she sh- when she's aiming at the forest spirit. And she says, the trick to killing a god is to not be afraid of it. And that is just one of the mo- that is the po- that is the opposite end of what <laughs> your quote is almost is like we should be reverent to the gods and they're laughing at us and things like that. And her being this is just one of the most brazen and brash things I've ever heard someone say is just to not be afraid of a god, to just shoot it in the face. And again, it's one of those ones like I can't believe I'm watching this. I can't believe this is what's happening on, on screen right now. <laughs> So this is something that I'm going to bring up in your very end segment of like a random thought, like a lot of industrialization versus humanity, a lot of industrialization versus mm-hmm. deforestation. This is also atheism versus religion. Uh, and yeah, that's where that's where a lot of that comes into play for me. I'm going to touch I'm going to touch a little bit more on it there. But this is this this is a really great quote because it's like, oh, I, I'm not going to be afraid of something I don't believe in. And then there it is. this is a physical thing. I can end this like, oh. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Jay, what's your second quote? So you say you're under a curse. So what? So is the whole damn world. Everybody dies. Some now, some later. From brothel girl to emperor. Jigo Bo might not be a character that I have, like, talked about a lot other than, hey, we could replace him with Tim Curry. But Billy Bob Thornton just delivers this line so, like, dryly. It's not a... I'm poking fun at you. You're dying. This is more of a matter of fact statement. Exactly. Exactly. It's a matter of fact statement. Like, dude, guess what? Everybody's going to friggin' die. Like, get over it. And like, it kind of fuels Ashitaka on to a point. But it's, it's one of those things where when you look at it, you're like, okay, like a lot of what I'm saying is like, oh, these are all throwaway lines. I remember them because I've watched this movie 400 times. I remember this. I know that, like I said, I know this movie backwards and forwards. This is one of those, this is still one of those quotes that sticks around. And you, you, you talk about like life and death from like a Western centric viewpoint being the end game and like them having like, like other people in other cultures having a different outlook on it. And this is one of those things where it's like, yeah, okay, cool. You die. Matter cannot be created or destroyed. Like this is just this is just a fact of the universe. If this happens, we move on. The world will continue to spin. And it just puts it into perspective for Ashitaka in the sense of the movie, but it also kind of cements uh the character of Jigo as like I'm gonna tell you how it is, whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah. And he he always kind of has. Like throughout the entire movie, you might not like what he does. You might not like the underhanded tricks that he does, but he never pretends to be something that he isn't. Oh, too true. Absolutely. Um, no, I think um, that we've brought up like the memeable quote of you're beautiful, you know, that tends to be the one that gets passed around. But I think the quotes that we've touched on are the more um, profound ones. And as you said, you might catch them, maybe not your first watch, but at least those those other few watches, you'll be like, wow, this is really what, the movie is trying to tell me. Like these this movie you got to watch 10 times. This movie you got to watch 10 times. I'm just saying. Minimum. Minimum 10 times. If you ever seen this movie 10 times, don't talk to me. 
Uh, and that ends the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's only watched it nine times, guys. He's only watched it nine times. <laughs> one song. I have but one song. Uh, Jay, on the score and soundtrack, I'm going to kick it off as, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, first, absolutely. I don't have the names of. I don't have the names of the pieces, but the first piece that really transports me is one of the scenes we touched on with Ashitaka leaving the village. And it's that piece of music of him roaming the Japanese hillside and it is solemn and it is old-worldly and it's just him and Yakult crossing these plains in this beautiful countryside and it's got, yeah, as I said, this otherworldly feel like we're being transported into this. It really does. The music, the, it's the Joe Hisaishi score, isn't it? Because he Joe Hisaishi, yeah. 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 Um, he really does capture what what is happening on screen and making you feel like you were living in whatever beautiful art you are watching at the moment. So the music and that score really does pair so well with the soundtrack with the um, what's happening on screen. Are there any pieces that stand out to you? No, the entire score actually does stand out to me. <laughs> um, and this is where Zelda gets brought back into it because I wanted to is. give a shout out to Hajime Wakai, uh, Monica Katuka, and uh, Yasaki Iwata for Breath of the Wild because this score is one of those scores. Like Breath of the Wild, I have uh, favorited on my YouTube. Just like a 10-hour loop of the music that plays throughout that game. I could do the exact same thing with this movie. This this is like the ultimate lo-fi, chill background music. I can yeah, do anything yeah. when this music plays. It has its moments of intensity, but it's not overbearing. It's not overpowering. It becomes like, I, I think the best way to put it is like it becomes diegetic. It becomes a part of what it is that you are watching and it's not taking you out of the moment. It is actually like pulling you deeper into Enhancing it. Enhancing the moment. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. Uh, one thing that I really noticed in this film, Jay, yeah. is the scenes with lack of score. And that is something else that I'm not used to seeing. And by that, I mean, when we see um, the forest spirit and it is quiet and it gives me that Akira moment where you're just hearing like um, sound, not so much yeah. score. You're just hearing like background low music, uh, not music play, like just uh, what am I like white noise almost? Yeah. As this forest spirit, because we know that something incredible is on screen and it highlights the presence of this god. And I feel like that is so ballsy. I feel like normally we'd have like this big strings moment and ah uh, the like, orchestra's rising. Yes, no, they're moments the they're moments of reverence. Yes. Like it, it's it's as if the creator of the soundtrack for this movie and the creator of the movie got together and were like, hey, this is a serious and solemn moment. No matter what it is, when this character is on screen, cut it. I don't care where you are in the music. As soon as you see this character step on screen, cut it. That's how you know that there's importance going on here. The music is important, but the lack of music will identify and elevate the scenes with this. I love that point. I honestly love that point that you brought up. And, and what it also allows me to do is have a visceral reaction and have the same reaction that San and Ashitaka are having to it, which yeah. I like. So I feel I can hear my breath 
when this scene comes on, the first scene of him walking across the water. I can hear my breath. I can feel my heartbeat because it's letting me sit in the moment of it, which, again, I just think I find is so ballsy to do. You know, Western music has Western composers have what they do, right? Like, uh, I think the I think the thing that most people would expect to happen here is that Avengers theme moment from the first Avengers movie in the group up, where like the theme, the the score rises and swells, and you hear it, and they're doing the exact opposite because they want you here to witness what is happening because that is more important than background tertiary information like that this is the meat and potatoes of what is going on right here and you need to focus on that focus on this not on anything else i love it i absolutely love it this is your badness level i've been waiting the whole episode to get to her we're gonna talk how evil is the villain so I'm going to just speak about Lady Yuboshi first because she is the conventional antagonist of the film in the sense that she is the one who is destroying the forest. She is the one who is waging war. I've, this is one of my favourite villains on film ever because I find Shout her- Shout out to Minnie Driver. Mini Driver's performance, the way she articulates Lady Eboshi, because she is glamorous, she is refined, but the things she is doing, I just find so interesting in the sense that she is finding these outcasts of society. She's finding these women from the brothel. She's finding people who are suffering from leprosy at the time. And we know at the time that these people would, were absolutely outcasts from society, no contact, no nothing. We had like a They were 100% eyes. otherized. Exactly. The fact that she is instilling the sense, the, the loyalty she instills from these people is gobsmacking. And that, like, they will go to the ends of the earth for her. Everything is about Lady Yuboshi. She is their idol and everything. Jay, I want your opinion on it because the first time I watched it, I'm like, wow, look how kind and that bringing, reaching out to people and bringing them to a cause. Look at that. Is it kindness or is it manipulation? Because when we find out that the women are being attacked in Irontown, she's like, the women can fend for themselves. Is that her being selfish in wanting to take out the god herself and forget, and just so much ditching the women? Or does she really believe that she has um, cultivated these women to be able to be uh, take care of themselves, enable them to be able to take care of themselves? Is it control kindness? So, no, I actually really enjoy that question because there's a scene that happens in this movie the first time that we meet the lepers. She is looking over the firearms that they are creating and she is saying that they are still too heavy for the women to handle. And that's what she wants is the women to be able to handle that situation. Her going after the forest spirit is her main goal. But being able to have Irontown defended by the women who still work there is not a tertiary goal. It is not a secondary goal. It is also a main goal for her. And this is one of the reasons why I don't think that this is manipulation. This is legit kindness. Uh, Another thing is, um, like, I I have a whole little spiel about this, and I'll get into that here in a second. But Lady Eboshi isn't doing this to collect a bounty on the forest spirit's head. She also says it in that scene when she's talking to Ashitaka about the forest spirit. She wants the head of the forest spirit to heal the lepers in her town. She isn't here 
to do this in any malicious sense of the word. She is doing this horrific act or is trying to commit this horrific act in the movie, but she's not doing it for greedy uh, means she is trying to help the people who have followed her who have given her their loyalty she is trying to do the best that she can as a leader and it's one of the reasons why i don't think that she is a villain in the movie she is a bad guy but we've already made that quote but lady aboshi isn't a manipulative individual within the movie she can use like tactics that might emulate manipulation but i think a lot of people do but just saying that she is a manipulative and evil individual, not that that's what you're doing, but like that's what a lot of people say. But she's doing it for a sense of greater good within herself and her community to try to help those who are struggling because they have all been otherized because they are lepers. She is trying to help them the best way that she knows how, even if it curses her. She is willing to sacrifice herself for that for the betterment of her people. And that's one of the reasons why I don't think that she's necessarily a bad guy. She might be an antagonist in like the basis sense of the word, but she isn't, she isn't doing it for her own gains. She is doing it to help those that are less than healthy. Those that are less than 100%. I don't know where I come down on this side of the fence. Cause on this watch through, I was really honing in on every interaction with Lady Boshu. Because um, another scene of when she goes and finds the firearm, she goes, I've been working you too hard. Make sure we bring wine for everyone. And in my head, I'm like, is that a genuine act of kindness or is that to keep everyone on their side and keep her them at her side? You know, so I don't know where I fall on it because can it be both? Can it can. It <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it definitely can. But that that's what blind devotion is. But they don't mm-hmm. like blindly follow her. Like Toki questions her uh like gonza kind of questions her and is she she never like severely reprimands them for that she actually kind of takes into consideration what it is that they are saying and constructs a response it's not i am the iron-fisted leader of iron town you will follow what it is that i say she is willing to accept criticism from people within her own society the only person that she isn't really willing to accept criticism from is ashitaka because Ashitaka is an outsider who's only been there for a day and a half. I like I like that point though. I I, I really do like that point because you you're you're making me think about this a little bit more critically. And I know the scene that you're talking about, but I do see that more as kindness than anything else because they are sick, they are tired, they do work a lot, and if she can give them a little respite, even if it means that they will in turn work harder. Is that manipulation or is that her understanding that you are incentivized to continue to work? Mm. It's 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 interesting. There's a few other scenes, <laughs> but I like that you brought up that she has counsel with the other women. You know, she's not above above anyone else in the village, which I really like. But then we have that scene with Jigo where um, he's like, oh, these are some women. And she's like, what do you think about the emperor? What do you think about this piece of paper? And the women don't know who the emperor is. You know, so it's telling us in not so many words that these are maybe not well-versed or well-educated women, probably from the background, but she's still taking them in and still sees their value. So I found that interesting. The other thing is that really minor plot point about the emperor coming for Iron Town. Can you, ex- you've watched this more than I have. Can you expand a little bit more on that? On- I, and that's, that's, that's the thing is while I was watching this movie, because I watched this movie last night, uh, again, um, 
I think that's where a lot of the pressure comes from. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not here to say it's patriarchy that is the bad guy in this movie, but it is men that are pressuring women into doing something that they may not necessarily want to do while still trying to work out a way to do what they need to do to protect the people that they care about. The emperor is an unnamed unseen character in this movie and his right hand is Jigo Bo. The man is not a that man is not a priest no matter what they say. That man is an assassin. No, no. That man is an yeah. assassin for the emperor. He is the emperor's right hand. He is the puppet that the emperor is working and I think that's that's who I would call the villain of the movie because Absolutely. he doesn't care. He's like, "Guys, don't worry about killing this god. We've got this pardon from the emperor that says we're not doing anything wrong." Lady Eboshi knows he, that she's doing something. Oh, go ahead. And no, no, he's getting Lady Eboshi to do his dirty work. He says so much himself. It's like when you go to kill a god, don't don't do it yourself. Like someone someone yeah, else to do it. So exactly. That's when we sort of really see him actually. Oh no, these are the strings that are being pulled. I, I love that point as well. That is that is the manipulation that you see happening right then and there. Is Lady Eboshi might be doing something that is less than uh, like less than good. But it is still technically in a morally gray area, but she's doing it for the right reasons. Whereas Jigo's doing it for a payday. Jigo is doing it because he is being commanded by another person to go and do this and doesn't feel any remorse for it. Lady Eboshi does feel remorseful, even though she is as atheistic as she comes across in the movie. She still understands the repercussions of what happens, and she's still willing to put herself on the line. Well, we talked about it earlier. Moro's head bites her arm off. She doesn't care about that. She cares more about the people in Irontown. And it, that goes back to another thing that you said. You know, is it, hey, I'm abandoning the people of Irontown to go after the god? No, she is knowingly and willingly allowing iron town to be attacked because she has created an area of safeness for them and the ability for this town to be safe by creating lighter firearms for them the women and the lepers in the town to defend themselves while she isn't there because sometimes she won't be there whereas everybody else is like jigo is just there for personal gain Iboshi isn't going to gain a like her weight in gold. She's going to be able to heal the people of her town so her town can thrive and prosper, which ultimately will lead to more happening in the town and the expansion of Iron Town, which out of context would be probably a disastrous thing, but we don't know because we don't see it happen. So we can't we can speculate on it all we want, but we can't make a definitive answer of it. But Iboshi isn't the bad guy in this movie. Practically perfect in every way. Leading into some random thoughts or some wrap-up, Jay, is there anything that we haven't touched on for the film that you would like to bring up at this point? I touched on it a little bit earlier. <clears throat> where it's like everybody's like, okay, this is this is uh, industrialization versus forest preservation. This is gods versus humans. This is atheism versus spirituality. These are all right there. But it comes down to survival versus death for all of these things and that's the easiest way to that's the easiest way to place it because if you stop believing in gods gods stop existing if you stop supporting spirituality in your forest if you stop promoting forest growth 
the force dies. If industrialization takes over, humanity dies because there's nothing left to like. This is all just showing this. This movie shows the futility of what industrialization is, what capitalism is, and it's it's just like an indictment of all of these things. And a lot of people only look at one of them and don't look deeper and see that these are all problems. And we've kind of been given answers to a certain degree. We've all been given solutions to some of these things. And we're like, well, it can't make us money. It can't expand our town. It can't keep us safe when it can keep us safe. Money is a construct. Towns are a construct. As long as you try to keep people safe, that's all that matters. Taking life isn't worth it if your life ultimately ends for a means that you cannot control and you cannot continue to produce. You are easily replaceable. And it's, that's, that's, that's what I look at. That's the way that it crosses my mind. What an absolute brilliant way to, to summarize the film. Jay, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. This was an amazing conversation to have. Where can people find you? Uh, I am on twitch.tv backslash Luz Theron, L-O-O-Z-T-H-E-R-I-N. Uh, I am on Facebook at Jay Burns. I am on Twitter at Jay Burns 253. I am on Letterboxd at JBR 253. Uh, those are mainly the majority of places that you can find me. If you live in the Seattle area, don't look for me. It's just going to be weird. And I don't like talking to people outside of talking to people on the internet. It's, it's, it's weird. I'm awkward. You're awkward. You're going to be embarrassed. And I'm going to make fun of you on my TikTok. Also, you can find me on TikTok at Jay Burns. J-A-Y-B-U-R-N-Z. All of them with Z's, no S's. Thank you for joining us again on Doing Disney, everyone. It's great to be back in 2023. I've got some great things planned for you this year, so keep your ears peeled to this soon, and we will see you next time. And when you come to the end, <laughs> stop! Thank you for joining me on this episode of Doing Disney. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doing Disney Podcast and Twitter at Doing Disney Podcast.